1: This is Richard Jacobs with the FutureTech and FutureTech Health Podcast. I have Dr. Peter Christie. He's the founder and CEO of Galt, General Automation Lab Technology. And they isolate, cultivate, and screen uh, the living microbiome, thousands of microbes at a time, which is really, really cool. It's a high-throughput way to, uh, to look at microbes, it looks like. So, Peter, thank you for coming. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, if you would, tell me uh, how did this idea and methodology and all that come about, how did the whole company uh, – into action.
2: Well, um, I mean, that, that's a really interesting question. So about four or five years ago, um, a few of us got together to think about this problem of microbial cultivation. There was a number um, out, out in the literature that less than 1% of the microbial species that currently exist on the planet have ever been cultivated in the laboratory and that was proving to be a a real barrier to development of microbial-based products. Um, So at that time, um, there was a lot of interest, uh, particularly in the ag tech arena, around developing microbes for use to activity of crops and usage. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the barriers was that when Peter potential microbes that, that they wanted to develop into products, uh, the whole cultivation process was incredibly slow and cumbersome and, and a real barrier uh, to progress in this field. So um, we got together and said, hey, what can we do um, to solve this problem? Because if we could solve it, there would be a massive amount of, of benefit from that and so we uh, sat down and, and worked out uh, a way to prove cultivation rates and developed the platform that, um, that, that we have in the company now. When
1: you say cultivation, do you literally mean cultivating a given organism and getting enough of it to study, or do you mean sequencing
2: um, so the, our primary goal is cultivation and getting a pure isolate um, into, cult- into culture in the lab so that you can then evaluate it for a product candidate or else study its biochemistry and physiology in a lot more detail. Um, some of that downstream study may involve sequencing, um, but it, uh, our prime company is to deliver pure living isolates of interest to to the researcher or the product developer.
1: And forgive me, an isolate is the whole organism or is the isolate a particular metabolite of an organism?
2: So an isolate is a a pure or a living organism. Um, So for example, if I have a strep infection in your throat um, and I take a swab and I want to understand more about your particular strep infection. I want to get pure living isolates of that infection um, growing on a petri dish or in a 96-well plate in the lab so I can study it. So the goal there is to get a living colony or a living culture that's pure of the organism that we're interested in. And whether that's a, a strap strain whether it's a nitrogen-fixing bacteria isolated from a sample, or whether it's a um, uh, butyrate-producing bacteria in the human gut, Um, the goal here is to get a living, pure um, colony or or, uh, population of organisms of interest so that you can study um, in the laboratory.
1: So is it harder to cultivate certain strains at all, or is it harder to isolate one particular strain? And that have contamination of
2: other strains. Yeah, I mean, this this is um, you know a key question. Like, you know, there are there are microbial like if we take a soil um, uh, sample, for example, there are certain microbes in soil that are very very easy to grow. They tend to be the fast growing organisms. Um, and organisms that uh, can live in many, many um, different conditions and environments, and that those types of organisms are very easy to grow, and they've been growing regularly you know in labs o- over many, many years. Um, but often the most interesting organisms are the ones that um, may be less abundant in a soil sample or they may be slightly slower growing. Um, in in that sample or in, in your laboratory system and so those ones the of the ones that are often more interest um, are sometimes a lot more difficult to grow and those are the ones that we um, our system is designed to help researchers get more access to so that they can grow them easily in their laboratories and then study them.
1: Yeah it's funny I just you know I don't know I'm not in the industry but I just assumed it's easy to cultivate bacteria and you don't even have to do anything. But the sequencing is hard. <laughs> no. I didn't realize it was, a, it was a challenge to do it.
2: You know? no, it's, no, it's interesting is that um, if you, uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, people who are listening to the podcast um, may be very aware of the um, the importance of the microbiome, particularly in human health. Um, and how it's been connected to many, many different disease states like diabetes and metabolic disease and autoimmune disease, allergies, Parkinson's disease, the the list goes on and on. And as a result of that, people are very interested in studying the microbiome, human gut microbiome and the human skin microbiome are are areas of a, a lot of interest. And the primary method that people are used to date to study those microbiomes is actually DNA sequencing. Because it's relatively straightforward now to take a say a human gut sample or a human skin sample and the mixture of microbes in that sample and then sequence it and, and that sequencing will give you some information about what microbes are there um, at that particular point in time. So that that's actually what's driven a lot of the scientific insight that has developed in the world of the microbiome over the last five to 10 years has actually been sequencing-based. The challenge has, is, has been, and still is, is that if those sequencing studies um, identify a microbe of interest that you may think uh, may be involved in a particular disease mechanism, for example, the difficulty is how do I get a living culture of that microbe in a pure state Um, and into the laboratory so I can study it in more detail and really validate that that microbe is involved in the disease state. And if so, how is it involved in the disease state? So it is going from this concept of, okay, sequencing tells me there's a correlation between this microbe and the disease. How do I go to causation where I show that that microbe is actually involved in that disease state? And that's where You can start, once you've validated that and understand the mechanism, you can start to think about interventions um, uh, that may be based on those insights.
1: So um, what are some of the methods to culture bacteria that you guys are using? You know, without giving away proprietary stuff, but what are some things that you found are necessary to culture bacteria in the right way keep them alive?
2: Well, it's... it's and I think it's useful to provide a little bit of context about what's been going on in the microbiology lab in the last 50 to 100 years is um, microbiology is still using tools that were developed in the 1800s. Hundreds. Um, for example, the the most common device used for cultivation in a microbiology lab is the petri dish, and I think most people will be familiar with that. Um, that was invented in 1887. And another common lab tool is the Bunsen burner um, that you see in just about every microbiology lab today. That was invented in 1855. So, um, in microbiology people, the available tool set to cultivate and study complex microbial populations um, is over 100 years old. And this contrasts very markedly with other fields of biology like genomics. Um, If you go into a genomics lab, you'll see a lot of very, very sophisticated analytical instrumentation. That's been developed to help study the genome. And in cell biology, you see a lot of very sophisticated instrumentation such as flow cytometry, high content screening, um, and confocal microscopy that's used to study cells. But for some reason, the microbiology field has not benefited from the development of these type of tools. So what we're doing here at GALT is developing an instrumentation-based tool set to greatly facilitate the whole cultivation process um, in microbiology labs and uh, greatly increase the productivity of that process. So the core technology of our platform, is a um, a microarray that has fabricated into the surface of it many thousands and thousands of tiny little growth chambers. So this allows us in a very small device to cultivate in parallel an incredibly high number of my- of isolates of pure bacteria um, on the device, and then the instrument that we developed transfers. Um, interesting targets that grow on that device into a 96-well plate, which is the standard format in the lab. So the benefits of that from a efficiency and a productivity point of view are such that it opens up whole new areas of, of research strategy that weren't really accessible before because they were they were too cumbersome and too slow.
1: Why is it better to culture a bacteria in a bunch of wells instead of one big dish Is it because each has its own food source that's not competed for by other bacteria?
2: Well, I think that the three, the three major elements that we were looking for when we designed this. So one is throughput, Um, typically a, a Petri dish, um, you can harvest uh, between maybe 25, 50, maybe 100 colonies off that petri dish. Um, that's okay if you're studying a, a single pathogen back to the um, the strep infection example that I used earlier on. If you just want to grow one one single species, that's fine. But when you are studying a complex ecosystem, which is the microbiome, which may contain many thousands um, of different species in them, you really need a a tool or a device that has a a far higher sampling rate. So the first key aspect of it, of the system we've developed, is a very high sampling rate. The second key aspect is that our system prevents the device being overrun by fast-growing bacteria so on a Petri dish, you'll often get overgrowth within 24 to uh, 48 hours of fast-growing bacteria that essentially obliterate slower-growing and potentially more interesting bacteria. Um, so that um, is, is a, a facet of our system that doesn't exist. Um, and then thirdly, we use a liquid culture format for our system um, that preferentially grows bacteria that prefer liquid culture rather than a, um, a solid agar surface. So these these are three technical aspects of the system that make it you know, to grow more difficult to grow.
1: Are there um, I don't know are there certain strains that you've been able to cultivate that no one else has been able to because of your conditions.
2: Um, we we have um, over time cultivated a, a lot of bacteria on our systems and some of them um, have not been identified before. I don't have any numbers around that, um, but you, you definitely our system has identified and cultivated things that um, don't show up in the, in the standard databases.
1: That's pretty cool. And um, when you have optimal conditions... That is cool. <laughs> for, yeah. But when you have optimal conditions for the uh, bacteria, how much faster and more robust have the colonies been that you've created?
2: Um, they, the the robustness of the colonies is such that I, I think it, when, once you get a cult cult uh, a you've cultivated a bacteria in a 96-well plate. I mean, if you have a species, you have that species, and it's not more robust or less robust on our system. The key thing is that um, if you... Um, want to study that bacteria? You have access to it um, a lot more quickly, and I think you know one, one example um, of a cooking with is someone who's studying a very slow-growing bacteria called um, Actinobacteria, and to support their research, they wanted to develop a strain collection of many many different species of Actinobacteria, so that they could. And, and test them um, in, the, in their, you know, in their research. So before we arrived in their lab, um, they'd been working for about two years to develop a strain collection of 400 different species. And they'd been using petri dishes, which was a very slow and uh, arduous process. Once they started using the Prospector system, they were able to develop a a second strain collection of 600 within three months. Um, So that provided for them a, a tool set, which is the strain collection, um, to support their research, that were and they were to, able to develop that tool set far faster and fast far easier um, than what they could do with with current um, technologies. So this is the difference between taking two years to get to where you want to go, to taking three months, which is a major advance. If you're studying a microbiome based disease, or if you're an agricultural biotech researcher looking for microbes that um that can enhance crop productivity for example
1: i would think you'd have to see different bacterial behavior if it's cultured in wells versus just the dish i mean maybe it prevents the formation of biofilms encourages them or you know you have like a certain amount that can fit in a well i guess maximally maybe bacteria are like fish and they grow to the size of the well or they proliferate to the size of the well i mean what, what interesting things have you seen that are different with your method?
2: Well, I think I mean that's a good point. So the end end result, as I was saying, is I mean you either get a you either get an isolate or you don't, and the end result is is kind of the same whether we use a petri dish or or an array based approach. But you're absolutely correct that on the array based approach, um, things grow differently. So um, you know one example of that is that we find that um, we are able to. To detect growth on our array far faster than what you can on a petri dish and the reason is is that the micro wells that we're growing these microbes in are about three nanoliters in volume um, so bacteria growing in that microwell, you can detect them quite early in, in the growth phase um, and whereas on a petri dish you have to wait perhaps well, three days um, because the bacteria have to grow into a visible colony on the surface of the of the petri dish. Um, before you can see them. So um, we're we're actually exploring this um, to understand in what situations would it be a benefit to be able to identify growth of bacteria um, time or a third third of the time um, versus a petri dish and where would that be beneficial? So that you know the, the certain applications and you know potentially in the medical arena and diagnostic arena where getting faster results may be um, maybe useful, and we're we're looking at those to try and understand that. Um, in terms of you know why they another way that they grow differently on the arrays is that, and I referred to this before, is that um, because we seal the growth chambers with a membrane, um, bacteria can't. Outgrow the array, outgrow their growth chambers, and take over the entire array, so that fast growers are trapped in their tiny little growth chambers, and this allows time for slower growing or more fastidious bacteria to grow up in their own microwells, and then be seen on the array Um, so this is why our collaborator that I referred to before was able to detect and isolate um, a, a big strain collection of slow growing bacteria relatively quickly because on our array format his slow growing bacteria weren't being rapidly overgrown by fast growers which is what happens on a petri dish
1: well, within a given strain, though, are there literally is there literally individual behavior of different bacteria all in the same strain, or is it just across strains?
2: So could you just clarify that question a little bit, uh, Richard? Yeah, sure. Right.
1: So if I have one particular strain of bacteria, do all the bacteria grow at the same rate, or are there fast ones and slow ones? When you were just talking about fast and slow, did you mean within the same strain or uh, comparing across two different types
2: of strains. So these are typically different species um, or different strains, uh, depending on what. Okay. So, okay. for example, in 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 soil, so so a typical soil sample uh, may have a thousand different species in it. Some of those species are very fast-growing species. They may be motile. They may swim around, and they may be highly abundant. Um, And one typical example is Pseudomonas. It's a very common soil bacterium that's typically anywhere between 10, maybe 20% of the microbes in the sample could be um, Pseudomonas. They're very fast-growing. They replicate quickly, and they, um, you know, they swim around. Um, So you put these onto a Petri dish, And within probably 24 hours or 48 hours, your entire petri dish is just completely overcome with pseudomonas. And then there may be other bacteria in the soil, you know, kind of species number 732 out of the thousand that may only be present at 0.01% of the total bacteria in a sample. They may be slower growing. uh, They may be non-motile. And if you plate those onto a Petri dish, you're never going to see them. Um, because, you know, they just have very, very different dynamics from, say, a pseudomonas, and um, they're not going to be cultivatable because they'll just simply be overrun. So on the array-based format, it's a lot lot easier to um, grow and isolate those slower-growing components of a complex microbiome um, because of the way the chip is designed.
1: Yeah, see, again, I just assumed you were somehow able to isolate one particular strain of bacteria, put it in the microwave and grow it. But what's the reality of it? Can you not isolate first and then grow? Or is there, for some reason, you have to depend upon the geometry and the special elements of the microarray in order to separate out growth?
2: So what we, what we do is, the way the array works is we take a, um, a, micro, a, a, a sample such as soil and then we isolate from that a suspension of microbes from the soil sample. And then we dilute that into a medium that we want those um, microbes to, to grow in. Then we load that, that suspension of microbes onto the array such that individual microbes partition into growth chain. And then we seal it and then the, the individual microbes grow up. So, what we have on the array is um, hundreds and hundreds of micro isolates in their um, in their growth chambers that are all derived from the original microbiome sample and a lot and they they are different because they 're all derived from a separate microbe in that sample, so the array itself will have a large number of isolates that represent a multitude of different species from the microbiome sample that you first started with. And then so we've essentially digitized that uh, microbiome sample onto the array. And then we're able to go in and select microwells that contain um, isolates and then take them um, into a 96 well plate for downstream testing. So what um, so what drives what microbes grow on the array typically it's what is the original microbiome sample and what bacteria were present in that and then the second major element is the medium the growth medium that you choose to um, load onto the array with the bacteria um, so with different growth media you'll get different cuts of the microbiome and different subpopulations of that growing on the array.
1: What if you only want one particular strain of something you separated out before? And what's it?
2: So there's a so if you're looking for a specific target, um, there's a couple of ways of doing it. So one is to take isolates um, from the microarray and put them into 96 well plates, and then do a downstream screen. Um, so for example, if you have um, a lot of people do DNA sequencing. Um, so if you have a, a 96-well plate of isolates, you can uh, do Sanger sequencing on those isolates to identify um, what they are and then select the one that you're interested in. Um, another way of uh, selecting for what you're looking for is to do on array um, screening, so if you have a fluorescent reporter system for example for a particular enzyme that you may be interested in uh, finding an isolate that secretes an enzyme, you can put that reporter system on the array and then use the optics in our in our instrument to read the array and identify micro wells that contain what you're looking for. A third approach is to use selective media on the array so that when you take your complex microbiome sample and load it onto the array, you load it with media that only support the growth of your target bacteria. And then um, the the colonies that grow up on the array t- would, would be highly enriched in the targets that you're looking for. So depending on on the system you're working with and the kind of scientific questions you're trying to answer you can use the system in a variety of different ways to to get to where you want to go
1: have people um or have you has anyone profiled specific bacteria you know what they love to eat what they don't like to eat how fast they grow what metabolites they produce what phages attack them etc like do you, does anyone have a workup on a given bacteria so we know like as much as possible about it
2: Um, using that, that's a potential application of our system in the future. Um, we're not focused on that. Um, we, we're focused on delivering living isolates. Um, but in terms of. You know, uh, separate from our system, obviously in, in the world of microbiology, a lot of microbes have been characterized once they get into the lab environment and once they've been isolated as a pure, as a pure colony, um, you can take them downstream into the lab and, and do, uh, do those analyses. Um, but again, if if um, and and that's been done a lot with bacteria that are easy to grow using petri dishes. Um, so what we enable is you know the ability to get more challenging bacteria to cultivate and to be able to go downstream and, and do those same kind of characterizations. And when
1: something's an isolate, what what percentage purity is it, and what can be mixed in with it?
2: Um, we, we typically get very pure um, isolates coming off the system. I mean, because of the way we load the chips, um, a small proportion are actually mixed colonies, and that, that's just a, a natural outcome of the mathematics of the way we load these chips. Um, but we get uh, typically very few pure colonies coming out, and we uh, demonstrate that by doing DNA sequencing on the isolates. And that's, so they're able to take those downstream and, and do their studies uh, on, on those pure isolates.
1: The reason I ask is in some worlds, like 99.9999% is you know achievable and, and that's great. But I just wonder in the isolate world, what's like a high purity level versus a low one?
2: Are there... So we, we use uh, Sanger sequencing um, to assess purity. Um, So, you know, I could go into the mathematics of that Um, in terms of, I mean, that's a good question. I'd have to think about that a little bit more. What, what, you know an absolutely pure isolate it starts to become a definitional thing at that point because as colonies grow and develop over time um, there will be some natural variation that comes up in a in a culture of bacteria like not if when you bring a culture up not everything is going to be exactly the same because you get Genetic drift, um, as as the culture grows and develops, and as you get, you know, billions of microorganisms um, evolving as as they do um, over time, um, so you know, then it becomes a definition of what what do you mean by purity? But typically, um, you know, when you're working with systems um, that are above, you know, ninety nine percent purity. Um, for what you're looking for, that very adequate for most of the experimental work that's been done.
1: Okay. That's what I was wondering. I just didn't know
2: how, how pure yeah. pure was. So, hmm.
1: Have you seen um, any different behaviors of any of the bacteria once they are purified to such a high degree? Do they act differently versus when they're around all kinds of neighbors?
2: We haven't observed that um, primarily because we're focused on developing our system and, and cultivation, but it, it's well known in the field of microbiology that um, microbes act as often act um, within the context of the community and the environment that they live in. Um, so bacteria, bacteria, uh, sometimes can do things with other bacteria that they can't do purely by themselves. And some bacteria, it's known that um, they actually require the presence of other bacteria in order for them to be able to grow. So for example, really? um, mm. they may require yeah they may require some nutrient or they may require some growth factor or some other, um feature of of the presence of another bacteria in order for them to be able to grow. And so these are called syntrophic or, or symbiotic relationships. Um, so that that's a feature of these complex microbiomes. And, and 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 this goes back to the point why it's so important to get living isolates um, to study in a laboratory um, because you can start to dissect these relationships um, and, and the functionality of microbes a lot more specifically when you have pure isolates in the laboratory and you can mix um, groups of bacteria together and study how they function as part of a larger community um, and, and, and understand you know, in in particular disease states, what combinations of bacteria may be important versus single bacteria. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a really complex world that we live in, and 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 the benefits of understanding all this are going to be so huge that having the tools to to support these kind of experiments is absolutely critical.
1: Have you had any like bacteria battles where you cultured two isolates and then? Put them
2: in the same dish and have them battle it out and see what happens. I <laughs> know no, no. That's a really interesting concept, um, and uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to it one day. But we're 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 absolutely focused on on getting our system, um, you know, developed and out the door, um, and starting to to get to the point where. Um, We can ask these type of questions and say, hey, you know, we've got this whole new platform for doing microbiology. What are are the cool things that we can do with it? You know, what are the things that we can do with this system that we couldn't do before because the system never existed? And some of the things that you're suggesting sound like great, great ideas.
1: Are there any uh, dream bacteria that you'd like to culture but are so far like impossible? some
2: reason we haven't identified like the dream bacteria but um you know there's kind of obviously areas of interest um in in different fields um that we work with one example is in ag bio there's a lot of interest on identifying bacteria that can fix nitrogen um you know nitrogen fertilizer usage uh in agriculture is been hugely beneficial in terms of helping feed the planet and raise the productivity of 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 the way we grow crop plants, um, but it has its downsides, and the downsides are that you know nitrogen fertilizer can you know have negative effects on the whole ecosystem by you know, kind of causing, you know, algal blooms and a whole bunch of other stuff that's not great. And also the production of nitrogen fertilizer is incredibly energy intensive. I mean, there's a a good proportion of of the energy usage today across the planet is, is used to generate nitrogen fertilizer for agriculture. So there's a lot of people really interested in finding microbes that can fix nitrogen from the air and so potentially allow us to reduce um, the usage of nitrogen fertilizer globally. So, you know, if our system could help find that magic nitrogen-fixing microbe that could, um, you know, kind of uh, really uh, reduce significantly the amount of nitrogen fertilizer that's used um, that that would be amazing and it would all you know it would be fantastic
1: yeah perhaps your technology could be used to um, bacteria that are in very very low amounts in a given system that are usually invisible because of the other bacteria that predominate them
2: Mm absolutely 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 and I, I think that there's other like disease states, like you know, I've talked about agriculture, but if, if you go into like the human gut, and there's you know, kind of connections being drawn between major major diseases like diabetes in the microbiome, um, metabolic disease in the microbiome. Um, there's been some recent um, papers uh, papers come out that's shown or indicated that the um, outlook for patients that have pancreatic cancer may be driven by the microbiome that exists within their tumor, for example. So in any one of those disease states, um, as we delve into it deeper and understand the, the mechanisms by which the microbiome has these effects, being able to identify and cultivate the specific one, two, or three bacteria that are critical um, in those diseases, and then be able to use those bacteria as therapeutics or um, as, um, uh, you know, treatments for these patients um would be an incredible breakthrough as well um so using our system to find uh, and isolate those bacteria um would be an incredible um achievement for so us well i guess
1: in, in our in our guts we have what like how many different strains are thoughts a thousand tens of thousands
2: uh again it becomes a definitional thing but i think uh you know in a typical human gut sample, you'll have anything from, say, uh, 300 to 600 different species. And then within that, there may be different strains and subtypes and such like, and that those species will vary um, from one individual to another. Um, so you have to look you know, from a population perspective versus an individual perspective. But yes, they, these are... Uh, the complex ecosystems that do a lot in our gut that I think we've only realized how important that is in the, in the last five to ten years.
1: So what's your uh, your goal from here forward for the next few years? Do you want to just get faster at cultivating? Do you want to also cultivate uncultivatable previously strains? I mean, what's, what would be the big wins for you guys over the next few years?
2: Well, the big the big wins. I mean, there's two levels of looking at this. the The big win is, you know, from a technical perspective, is cultivating faster and cultivating, you know, previously uncultivated ones and, and cultivating bacteria that, um, you know, make a real difference from a, a health and human wellness perspective or from an agricultural perspective. But you know, the the real goal of the company is to provide the tools to the microbiome research community that will accelerate this field by one to two decades. I mean, I've seen enough um, evidence uh, in the literature and and some amazing studies that have been done out there now in in a variety of different disease states that um, really point to the fact that the microbiome is a really critical... Um, area of science that we need to understand in a lot of detail and when we understand it there'll be a huge amount of benefits to humankind from that understanding and that understanding will be applied in human health wellness agriculture and a large number of different arenas so that uh, us if we can help the researchers um, uh, make their insights uh, faster Um, by providing tools that really solve problems for them. That's the goal of the company. And the current platform that we have now is a huge step forward in that direction. Um, And currently we're focused on cultivation, but there's a lot of other different applications we can layer on that in the future. Um, But I'm really excited about, you know, potentially developing other technologies that solve different problems in microbiome research or bringing in uh, technologies from other areas of life sciences um, and applying them. In the, uh, in the microbiome research arena, or um, with the goal of really accelerating this, this enormously important field of science. I mean, I think that for the last few years, the microbiome research arena has been thought of as, as a separate area of biology, but now we realize it's so connected to everything we are as humans and what we do that it's not a separate area of, of science. It's really an integral aspect of understanding human biology. So as we go forward, anyone who wants to understand human biology or study an aspect of human biology is going to have to um, take account of the microbiome as as, as they go through their, their study protocols.
1: So you, I guess you... Uh... Do you find it hard to stay on target and just be a micro farmer and not want to delve into all
2: these other things? It's it's obviously a temptation. Um, There's there's so much, uh, so many directions we could go and um, you're staying on target. It's always intriguing all the places we could go, but, but we're very focused. And I think some of the questions you asked, you know, Uh, earlier on in the discussion about have we done this have we done this you know obviously we've thought about many of those things but currently we're just focused on on getting our our product developed getting it out the door and starting to have an impact so that we can build from that
1: well one last thing i thought of you don't mind um i imagine someone taking i don't know if this is possible but taking one of your 96 cell microarrays and you know putting four different nutrients or chemicals or whatever on each of the arrays to create four different environments and then taking it to like, let's say, a a mine where, you know, an, an effluent is coming out and sampling the effluent that's coming out and I could probably quickly see amongst the 96 wells, if I had four different environments created in the wells, what bacteria would tend to grow there. Maybe that would help me assess what's going on in a place like that faster. Maybe a technology mm-hmm. could be used out
2: of a lab like that. Absolutely. I mean, those are the kind of applications that we look forward to developing. And, and just to, to level set here, is the, the typical technology used in a lab um, a petri dish is like three inches across, and then a 96 well plate has 96 um, different wells on it. Our array. Um, that we use is one inch by three inches and it actually has 6,000 microwells on it. So, so when I was talking before about having a fundamental increase in the sampling rate and the throughput on, on our platform, that, that's, that's the kind of order of magnitude differences that, that, that we're implementing here. So, you know, hmm. there's a potential to have, you know, not just 96, um, different things on, on the array, but, you know, thousands. Um and that that opens up a whole new world in terms of what you can do with the with the system. Yeah, that's great.
1: Well, excellent. Well, you know, thanks for uh taking the time. Uh what's the best way for folks to get in contact or to ask questions?
2: Um um feel free to email me. So my email address is Peter Um P E T E R at G A L T dash I N C dot com. Very good. Well Peter, thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Super. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials, or even starting to appear on shelves, or by prescription, or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine,